Food Heals Podcast, episode 191. Mark Twain said the most incredible thing. He said the two most important days in a person's life are the day they're born and the day they find out why. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. And I'm Susie Hardy. And today's episode is how to overcome extreme trauma in your life. And our guest today has been through a really unimaginable experience, the abduction of her toddler just three years ago. Yes. 800,000 children are reported missing each year in the U.S. That's 2,000 per day. I I mean, our our guest's story is um, heartbreaking. I I can't imagine. I mean, Alice and I don't have children yet, but I can't imagine going through that. And and, uh, this is a really graceful interview. She's a really lovely lady to be sharing her story and to be helping others. Yeah. And and those statistics you mentioned, Susie, are just shocking. Um, I listen to a lot of like podcasts about true crime and you just find out how many children go missing per year. And it's it's terrifying. And I can't imagine going through this, but you're right. Her interview is just, she's just such a graceful, wonderful person. And through all her pain of going through this trauma, she found her purpose. And she created a YouTube channel that's amassed over a half million views. And then she went on to write five books, start a publishing company, and help thousands of people find purpose in their pain. And I just can't imagine the strength it takes to keep going after what she's been through, but it is certainly a testament you know, to the resilience of the human spirit. And we really can overcome and persist through our traumas. She's a beautiful and brave soul, and I look forward to sharing her story with Food Heals Nation. And Allie met Murray at the New Media Summit last year. The New Media Summit is a conference for coaches, authors, speakers, holistic practitioners, and entrepreneurs to receive detailed training on leveraging and monetizing the power of new media and to pitch today's top icons of influence who will be there for one specific reason, to meet you and find guests to feature on their shows. Yes, exactly. So last year I went and I was one of the icons of influence, which basically means I have a podcast. And so people like Marie um, would pitch to be on our show. And of course, when I heard her story, I was like, this is such an incredible tale of resilience that I want to share with our listeners. The fact that you're alive right now and you're at this conference um, pitching to me in order to share your story with the world, I thought was incredible. You know, I don't know, I might be a balled up on my couch, never able to leave the house. So it's really a tale of resilience. And the next summit is coming up. And so if you want to pitch to us, plus uh, I believe there's 40 icons of influence. So there's 40 potential podcasts you can be on. Um, We scored a discount code for you. You can get $500 off the conference price if you use the coupon code FOODHEALS at checkout. So that's at www.foodhealsnation.com slash new media summit. And please use the www or it will not work. It will not redirect. Next up, our interview with Marie White. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. 
Marie White is the author of five books, including the award-winning number one bestseller, Strength for Parents of Missing Children, Surviving Divorce, Abduction, Runaways, and Foster Care. Welcome, Marie. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. So we talked a little bit about your story in the intro, but can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you're here today? Well, as you said, my name is Marie White, and uh, three and a half years ago, our toddler was abducted. They're still not home. So it's been a matter of um, of finding our own footing in this. How do you keep on going? How do you take care of yourself? You know, you guys really focus on health and eating right. And that's a huge part of the process of taking care of yourself enough to go on to the next day when something like that happens. Absolutely. And, you know, first of all, can we just express our extreme sorrow for what you've gone through? And I can't even imagine, and you're such a strong person to even be speaking about this. So I just acknowledge you for that. And because I know it's an active investigation, you can't reveal a lot of details, but why are you going public and sharing about your experience? Well, that's an excellent question, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No one has actually asked that ever before. Really? Really? You would think more people would ask, actually, now that you say that. I'm like, yeah, why haven't people asked that? (laughs) Um, Just because I think that a lot of parents, I know that a lot of parents don't survive this, actually. One parent per day takes their own life because they have a missing child, whether it's an abduction like ours or a family member abducting, like a ex-spouse or something like that, or they don't have their children because of a, a nasty divorce. And so it really became a matter of, we had no guidebook. Mm-hmm. We had nothing, you know, we had help and friends and family who came alongside us. But there was nothing that we could go to the store and buy and tell us step by step what to do. And there was really no one to look to and say, okay, they survived, we can too. And so we decided to become that family. That's amazing. It's so incredible what you're doing. I, mean, I, really- I, actually, I actually got chills when, when Marie was saying that, Ali. You know, Allison and I don't have children yet. My husband and I will probably start trying this year. And they say that the loss of a child is like absolutely one of the worst things you can go through. And And when I've heard that, it's usually from sickness or death or, you know, them passing away tragically that way. But this is a whole other level of, oh my God, this has happened and now what do I do? And I can understand that. I mean, that's such an extraordinary thing to share your story and to help others that are going through the same thing, whether that be from what you experienced or death or like you said, a spouse takes them or they run away or whatever. Thank you. You guys are awesome. You're awesome. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I, I, I'm speechless again. I'm like, uh, you're doing so much for the world. And <laughs> really taking that trauma and turning it into something to help heal others. And that's incredible because I can't, I mean, why would there be a resource for this, right? Because it's so unimaginable. So the fact that you've created this resource, you know, I know you have your YouTube channel, you have your books, you have five books now, including your bestseller. What really inspired you to start writing about your experience? Um, I didn't want to. A lot of people kept saying, you know, you need to write this, you need to write this, this is a book. Um, the story is a book. And so that's actually what got me started was um, writing the story of what had happened and mm-hmm. what led up to it. Uh, we really believe that um, because we're so vocal in our faith as non-denominational Christians, that this was part of an attack against a family who just was vocal. And that's not unusual. We just don't hear about it as much in this country or in this time period. And so, you know, we definitely believe this is a spiritual battle. And we believe that we have and we will win and that our child will one day be home. 
And so people who have watched that and have seen just the amazing, miraculous things that have happened in the process are just going, you have to write this down. And forever I said, no, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm egocentric enough. Last thing I need to do is write a book and be like, Hey, look at me. (laughs) And instead, um, I finally, you know, kind of made a deal with God where I was like, you know, all right, Lord, if you want me to write this down and that's the next step that I have to do, and then my child comes home, then I'll do it. And I wrote a book that ended up being the size of a Harry Potter novel. And my husband's like, you can't publish that. (laughs) We're not telling that story yet. (laughs) So that got set aside. And that's when the other books came. So that was Mm. your first experience of kind of getting it out, getting the story, your story, your family's story onto paper. And that's even setting it aside. It was almost like a cleanse of of that to at least get it out so that that you could be strong enough and actually write a how to or how I got through it as opposed to your story. Absolutely. That's incredible. I'm feeling like uh, like some sadness in my heart for you, just imagining that loss. And that's why I'm getting a little choked up. But it's so incredible that you were able to do that because like you said, so many parents don't even survive it. Like I said, I've heard of statistics where if, a, if parents lose a, a child to sickness and they pass away, that's the only statistics I've ever heard around that. But to be able to share that helps so many other people. We always think that our problems are just our own and we hide them. But when we're actually able to share them and find a community of other people that are going through the same exact thing, I mean, that's what we find on this podcast. Yes. I didn't know <laughs> that our sharing our stories on our podcast and talking to other people, sharing their stories on this podcast would have the effect and create the tribe that we have created with Food Hills Nation. It's, it's really incredible what you have done, Marie. Thank you. Can you describe the, the process for you emotionally? How did you move through those stages of grief and loss? Like, what was it, what was it like for you? Well, it's, it's strange that you would ask that because I actually have learned a lot about that this year, um, more than other, well, I guess this past year, since it's, we're into 2018 now, I went to go check out a group called Grief Share that it's all over the world and especially in the United States where people who are going through grief, usually from the loss of somebody from their death, go here to kind of learn how to work through their grief. And I thought, I'm going to go check that out, not because I need to work on my grief. I can be griefful all the time if I want to. <laughs> I'm going to go there and see if this is somewhere that someone like me could go and feel welcome and comfortable. And I absolutely loved it. It was perfect. And yes, anybody could go to those regardless of the type of grief you're going through and feel welcome and comfortable. And they talk about the stages of grief being less linear, one stage after the other, and more like a, a web of yarn where mm-hmm. you yeah. kind of just go through mm-hmm. all these different emotions. That makes so much sense to me. Um, when I had my trauma, which is different, but it was loss as well, um, losing both of my parents to cancer wow. back to back. And I didn't know about stages of grief. I didn't know about anything about psychology or stages of healing. And so I, you know, I pushed it all down and I didn't deal with it. And then I'm yelling at people at traffic, not knowing why I'm so angry all the time, right? (laughs) Totally makes sense now looking back, but I didn't know about these support groups, that there were meetings, that there were grief counseling, that there were stages of grief. And when I did read about the stages of grief, finally, it was like, an incredible wake up call, but I agree with you that it is yarn because I still go back and forth between the stages. It's not like I finish one stage and I'm done. Like I still go back to denial once in a while. Well, you know they're, what I mean? ne- they're never linear, and that's what they don't 
even I knew about the stages of grief when I lost my mother, when my mother passed mm-hmm. away. I was a psychology major. I knew all about that. It still didn't help me. <laughs> right. You're like, okay, great. I'm like, I, first of all, it's really hard to analyze yourself. Second of all, they don't happen linearly and they don't happen necessarily in any specific order. I mean, there's a general kind of usually a shock in the beginning and, but they can come back. It's, it's absolutely a web of yarn, like our spider's web, you know, it can have a few at one time. And then you bounce to one that you've thought you've already gone through. And, and like, just like you said, Allie, it comes back. It's such a process. Yeah. And it also, it, there's a, I think it was a chapter in the, in the little workbook or whatever, something like when you get ambushed by grief and we all knew it in that group, we all knew what that meant. We didn't have to sit down and explain it to somebody. It was like, all of us knew that, that, you know, you reach down to pick something up off the floor and all of a sudden you're crying and you're like, oh, I didn't know that was coming. That just came out of nowhere. Oh yeah. Been there. (laughs) Yes. So support groups, what else? What else has helped you heal during this time? And it's grief, but it's also the unknowing. Can you talk a little bit about that? It is. And you're absolutely right because it's not. And that was one of the things, you know, we talked about again in the in the grief share group is they talk about how in different types of grief or different types of thing, when you have a, a parent that's dying of cancer, then you have a lead up to that. So you're grieving progressively as mm-hmm. it gets further along, it's not just, you know, one day they're fine, the next day they're gone. Right. And that's a totally different kind of, of grief story. Right. And for us, it's, you know, the imagining. It's, it's the wondering what is happening, you know, what could be happening right now. And that's something I talk about in the book is where I just say, you know, we don't need to imagine that. One, there's nothing we can do about it. So why would you replay that in your head a thousand times in one night? And right. two, if it's not happening, why are we imagining it? Mm. And how do you stop yourself? Because I can imagine I'd be going crazy with scenarios in my head. And I understand why that drives people to suicide because it's such an unsustainable way to live. So how did you figure out how to stop those thoughts? Um, After a while, you know, at first, you know, I would give into them and I would think about them. And then um, after a while, I felt guilty when I would think about them. Not guilty like, you know, I got my hand, you know, caught in the cookie jar. But it was like, I know, I know I'm not supposed to go there. I know that for some re- some reason I knew that God didn't want me to go there and and stay there that it wasn't my job to sit there and imagine what could be happening and to rehash every conversation and to rehash you know well when I talk to the police this or when I talk to the private detective this or whatever like I'm not supposed to go there and just live in those moments a thousand times and that's my personality that's mm-hmm. what I do I lay in bed and I think about those things and I had to learn and train myself that when the thought came to shut it off we're done And I had to physically take my hands because I needed something to break the thought. And I had to take my hands, you know, hold them like I had something in my hands, stretch them out, let go. Be like, God, I'm handing this to you. I'm putting it in your hands. You need to take this because I cannot fixate on this. I know you don't want me to. And once I made that connection, that changed everything. That's so powerful. I do something very similar in my meditation where I just let it go and I say, please transform this. I know you're a woman of faith, but did you ever go through a period where you were angry with God about this? I think it's hard because you do get angry. (laughs) It's not that that emotion doesn't come. For sure, you know, you you know, there are times you're you know shaking your fist at the ceiling. Why? Why? My child had a safe, good life. Why would you allow this to happen? So those moments do come, but it was even from the moment that it happened. I had this incredible sense of peace of knowing he was with me, knowing he was in charge of what had happened. And while he wasn't making it happen, he could undo it if he wanted to. 
And so it was just a matter more of, you know, those times when I did just fall to the floor and say, you know, Lord, why would you let this happen? How could you do this? Just the way I felt like he really just spoke to my heart and said, you know, this was always going to happen. But because this was your child, you raised them in a way that they were going to be strong enough to make it through this. I mean, all the chills. (laughs) (laughs) I just have chills when you speak. And besides what you're going through emotionally during this time, what are you going through physically? Well, you know, that's the part that is the technical part that no one wants to talk about and that I, you know, get kind of boring and technical about in the book. And I tell people what to eat. Like mm-hmm. we had to look and see what do we need to eat to get through this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's when you're going important, yeah. Yes. And when you're going through stress, your body eats all the B vitamins in your system. Yeah. So you have to have additional B vitamins and that's going to be through food and supplements. That's a really good point. In, ad- in addition to, I can speak from my own experience, when you've had loss, like I went through phases where I didn't want to eat at all, which is not good because you're not getting any nutrition, to I just want to eat junk mm-hmm. or sugar. Back to Allison's question, what did you do <laughs> your body during, during this time? Well, one thing, you know, was definitely the B vitamins. That was important. See, now, the thing is, again, this is, this is why, you know, when people are like, how can you keep going? It's like, I really feel like God set us up for this. Like he prepared us in every possible way so that when it happened, we could still survive. And part of that was that we had been foster parents for years, you know, in the past before this, and we had taken in traumatized children. Wow. So we knew what was happening to the brain, to our brains and to our bodies. It took a while for us to catch on because we were in the trauma, Mm -hmm. but it was like, oh, wait a minute, we're going through trauma. Oh, wait a minute. It's been three days since this happened. I feel like vomiting every moment of every day. Oh, (laughs) you know what? We're in trauma. It's okay not to be okay. Yeah. If you want to vomit, vomit. And I finally had to let myself do that because I was holding onto that stress so tight. You see a, an athlete do it. They throw it before a, fo- a football game or a performer. Yeah. Yeah. Here in my stress, I couldn't even acknowledge that, hey, this is traumatic. And if you want to vomit, it's okay. I was thinking it was weakness. Mm. You're thinking so, the, that the wa- wanting to vomit was weakness? Yeah. Like I have to be strong. I have to be strong um, and hold on and keep moving forward so that I can get my child home. Yeah. And not realizing... You know, you don't have to be super well. I mean, you can, no. you can have a moment where you want to throw up. That's okay. I think that's a really, really beautiful and important point for people to hear. When you're going through any kind of trauma and loss, it's really okay to feel what you're feeling. Yes. Um, so many people, you know, when I had uh, my mother die, didn't know what to say. And I totally understand. But I had some really stupid comments. I'm sure you've heard them as well. I'm sure Allie's heard them as well when she <laughs> lost her parents. And the best thing that any friend ever said to me was, this really sucks and I'm really sorry. Wasn't trying to fix it, wasn't trying to give me advice, wasn't trying to, just just honored the fact that uh, what I was going through and holding the space for it. And it sounds like this is what you were doing for yourself where you finally honored like, I feel like this and it's okay and I'm just going to let myself feel like this. Because they say whatever you resist persists. So if you just allow it to pass through you and that goes for, you know, any kind of emotion. If you allow it to pass through, if you allow it to be here, it will shift. It won't stick around. If you resist it, it's going to stick around forever. Absolutely. And that was part of where I learned, okay, you know, in order to keep doing, I'm I'm parenting other children. You know, I have other kids. I have a spouse. It's like in order to keep doing daily life, because as it turns out, the world doesn't stop when that happens. No. It keeps on going. And you guys know this. When those moments happen, 
it doesn't stop. You have to keep on going. And so there was a, a matter of, okay, well, I'm going to drink, you know, yogurt smoothies and chug soup, whatever I can get past my lips to get down. So I have food in me while still continuing on and still having that gag reflex. But one of the things we did cling to was the fact that uh, bananas are a mood boosting superfood. And we just made sure we had a banana a day. That's nice to know. Cause I always see those little um, advertisements on lines sometimes those like kind of fake, you know, they're kind of, you know, they're fake, but like the five foods you shouldn't eat for belly fat. And it's always a picture of a banana. <laughs> like, bananas, bananas are not bad. They're delicious and they're nutritious. They're not, I don't believe it, but that's, that's good to know. I would eat a banana. Absolutely. And it's a cheap and easy thing you can do. Absolutely. And um, what do you avoid? You told me you're sugar-free and gluten-free. I am. I'm, I'm actually a lot of things. I, I have diverticulitis, so there would be no seeds. I'm a celiac, so there's no gluten. Um, with that comes additional <laughs> additional food allergies. So that would be no eggs, no beef, and no corn. And um, yeah, so it gets a little limiting. But sugar was, I think, the part that we ran to. Like you said, you know, you you don't feel like doing anything, and sugar is a good quick high. So that was a great energy pick me up. And I think that's when I finally went to the doctor and said, something's wrong. And they're like, you got to get off sugar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. And I know I'm guilty of it. It's like, I'm sad past the Ben and Jerry's and (laughs) (laughs) once in a while. Okay. But when it becomes a chronic pattern, we're in trouble because of the toxic effects that it can have on your body. Yes, absolutely. I think that sometimes I had some ice cream last night and because I was feeling a little blue um, for, you know, various reasons. And I allowed myself to have a little bit and it did its trick and I put it away and I'm like, okay, I don't need that anymore. And I, and I think, I don't know, I think I keep going back to this. I think it was because it was a major point for me, um, in just a, in just being able to give myself the space to do what I needed to do to feel what I'm feeling and to get through it. Because like I said, sometimes you can get stuck in an emotion, um, whether that be anger or depression or fear and it's really important to kind of nurture yourself. And, it, you know, it, you want to, the best way is to nurture yourself with good foods, as Maria is talking about. But sometimes, you know, if you can indulge a little bit and it makes you feel better, it's okay. And then go back and go eat your vegetables. Right. Because you don't want to be a slave to that either. No. And I want to go back to, um, you guys mentioned when other people say ridiculous things when you're going through something. And yes, Susie, I have experienced that. And there's some comments that I've, I've never forgotten that I'm just like, how could you say that to me? See, I, but, think, uh, I've, I think I've put them in a box and on a shelf in the back of my brain. I don't remember. I don't, I remember when they said them to me and I just remember like looking through tearful eyes, like go away. Like, what did you just say to me? You know, just some, mm-hmm. yeah, but I get it. People are uncomfortable and they don't know what to say and they want to comfort you, but yeah, sort of yeah. falls flat. So go on, Ellie. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, that's just what I was going to say is on the, uh, on the other side, sometimes people are just doing their best and they don't know what to say. So Marie, in your case, what, do we say to someone like you who is going through something so unimaginable that we can't possibly relate to, that we can't solve, that we can't, there's nothing that anyone can do physically to bring your child back. So what, what should we say to parents of a missing child or parents who have gone through some sort of major trauma or going through one? Well, and let's see if you guys have had something like this happen too. Um, The best thing that happened for us was when someone would text in the middle of the night, I I just, you know, I I just woke up and was thinking about you guys and I was praying for your child. Like I would wake up and find that whether it was in the middle of the night myself or in the morning. 
and just know somebody thought of us and cared. Yeah. And at the most random times, you know, a note on your door or a, you know, an email that came through or a text, anything like that that just says, you were on my mind and I thought about you. And what should people not say? We have have some people that, and this is the weirdest thing is that they have said some, there are some people that have said some things, but the motive behind it was, was completely innocent. And I think you guys have probably seen that too, where someone will say something really rude, but it's not intentional. Um, Somebody did come up to us at one point and say, your child's not coming home. We need to get over this. Yeah. Oh, God. And that was probably, I know, that was probably within the first, you know, couple of months. And I wanted to stand there, you know, with my mouth gaping open, but I did not. I kept my face pretty well hidden. Mm -hmm. But I realized in that moment where that person was coming from. And it's that she was watching us hurt and it was hurting her. Yeah. And she was just asking us to stop because she, watching us hurt was her, killing her. She, she couldn't it was a reflection it. of, yeah, as a reflection of her own reality. Yes. And so she was projecting that onto you. Yes. And it, she actually became one of our biggest supporters. And even to this day is just the most amazing person. But in that moment, she was like, this is hurting me. Stop. <laughs> luckily, we got that from her. And so we didn't say anything and retaliate or we would have lost this amazing friend. Yes. That's really that's, big of you because I probably would have punched her in the face. <laughs> um, said, I'm sorry, but I, I can't help it. I'm in grief. <laughs> I think we could have gotten away with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I would have given you a pass. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's too funny. Remind me not to make you angry. <laughs> I have taken boxing lessons, so, you know. Ooh. <laughs> We're in trouble if Susie's there. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm a woman warrior. It's okay. Um, Susie, I'm going to stay on your good side. You're always on my good side. I know, but I'm remembering that I need to be. <laughs> you know, it's actually a great way to um, – because for me, growing up as a girl – I was not really allowed to show anger. I was allowed to cry, but I was not really allowed to, you know, to just display anger. And later in life, when I started doing, you know, boxing as a workout, really, really lets you vent out your anger. If you are angry, it's a great way to just get that out, to get, you know, to get that energy out, to get get it moved through your body. So... Yeah. And Marie, I know that you talk about exercise too, as a component. And that's one thing for me that really helps. Like if I'm really feeling something and I'm just running it out or doing some sort of movement, sometimes that is all the healing I need in that moment or in that day. And like, I realized for myself that change happens when pain happens. So when I'm running that last mile and I can't possibly go any farther and I keep going and I'm in pain, not physical dire pain where I need to stop, but I'm just like, oh, I should stop. I should slow down. But I keep going. That's when change happens and something shifts, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, all that good stuff. So can you tell us about what? what's your recommendation for physical exercise when you're going through trauma and grief? Wow. Well, I love that, Allie. That was awesome. I had to write that down. Change happens when pain happens because it's true. It's yeah. absolutely true. And that's whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, you don't <laughs> make a change until there is some pain involved of some kind. Otherwise, we'd all just, you know, sit in our houses and do nothing. Yeah. Float around like nothing's wrong. <laughs> right. And I think for um, parents that are going through divorces or, you know, have a child missing for any reason, one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to get online. And they're going to start researching, you know, what can I do? What are the laws? What, you know, all these different things. Well, that ends up being a 24 seven job. Yeah. Mm. So they don't leave the house and they don't get off the computer. So they're talking about no sunlight, no fresh air, no exercise. And so they're deteriorating externally and also internally. 
So exercise is super important. What you guys are talking about with the boxing and with running, I mean, those are things that we have to do. And as parents going through trauma, we have to make that a priority because we can't stay mentally and physically fit enough to continue fighting for our children or trying to find our children if we're a mess. Yeah. We're not sleeping at night because we're getting no exercise because we're in front of the blue light of the computer. I mean, all these things tie in together. What we have to do and what other parents have to do is to make time. And I recommend, at least in the beginning, to start with 30 minutes of sunshine, fresh air, and exercise. And you can do all three of those together by going for a walk. Beautiful. And when you're walking or when you're exercising, do you find that besides keeping you physically fit and healthy so that, like you said, you can have the energy to put into finding that child, do you find that it helps with grief as well? Is it a meditative practice? You know, tell us about that. Absolutely. And if you do it with a friend, it can just be a time of pouring out your heart and venting and and connecting. It can be by yourself and be very meditative, or it can be with someone else that helps to, you know, just hear your voice and have somebody there that cares. For sure. So your book is called Strength for Parents of Missing Children, Surviving Divorce, Abduction, Runaways, and Foster Care. I mean, that says a lot right there in terms of what you've been through. And what is something unexpected that you've learned while writing this book? I thought when I was writing this, I was writing for other parents just like us. I thought, okay, I'm writing for, you know, all parents that have a child that's been abducted and we didn't have a guidebook and now we have one. And then I found out about this whole divorce community of people who, I mean, it's unbelievable. They literally have custody of their children, legal custody. The other spouse has taken them and whether they live down the street or in another country, they can't go get them. If they go to get them, they'll be accused of kidnapping and they'll go to jail and they will not get their kids back. Even though they have legal custody? Even though they're their own children, even though they have legal custody, the courts don't know what to do with this and the law enforcement doesn't. You call the police and they're like, this is a a civil matter. We don't deal with that. You go to the court and they say, we'll call the police. You're just like, what? People are going absolutely insane dealing with this and not knowing what to do. Some of them are waiting 5, 10, 20 years before they see their children. And in the meantime, their children are being severely brainwashed by the other parent. Oh my God. Yeah. Because what the children may not have any clue what's truly going on. No. And we've seen so many within the communities that I'm in now on Facebook and things like that. We've seen so many reunifications over this past year. Uh, This year has just been a really, 2017 has been a great one for reunifications. And some of these kids are coming back saying, I heard you didn't care about us and you didn't love us and you didn't want us in, in in your life. And the dad or the mom pulls out three or four feet tall of legal documents and says, this is how I've been fighting for you all this time. Oh my God. I have chills again. So those are the people. Once I found out there was that group, I was like, holy cow. So I now get to speak for that group and to that group, just being, you know, a voice of, of hope and of you know, giving them the advice that we needed to continue on. And then when I was having the book, um, Audible took the book and made it into an audiobook. And when they did that, the narrator stopped narrating in the middle of her recording, got online, went to my website and contacted me and said, I want you to know that I auditioned for this book because I wanted to read it for myself. I have two adult drug addicted children that I hardly ever see that I wonder, are they alive or dead? I'm constantly in a state of turmoil and worry for them. And your book, everything in it applies to me. Wow. And she took her first vacation in like seven years after reading the book, because she said, I have to take care of me now too. 
Yeah. That's incredible. What an impact your book is having. And now I want to listen to it so I can hear the narrator. (laughs) (laughs) She's awesome. It's just been an incredible journey to see more people that you think you're doing one little thing and it ends up being something bigger. Yeah. And you've interviewed five of the top experts involved with missing children. And one of them is having a movie made about his life. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, he's an incredible guy. And this is just you know, these divine appointments that have happened with these incredible people. Um, Logan Clark is a private detective who was in the military in like the 70s or something. And he was um, in an extraction team where they would go to rescue other people that had been captured from their troop. Well, when he got to the U.S., he ended up being asked by private companies to do extractions for children that were abducted. Wow. So he has been all over the world rescuing missing children, children in the slave industry, all kinds of things and parental abductions that had happened. And one of them that he talks about in the book is where he actually, there was a a child, there were two children that were taken and the mom took them to uh, Central or South America and put them with her. She and the kids were with her uncle, I believe, who was a Colombian drug lord. Oh my God. So he and his extraction team, you know, all of them former military, go there to try and get the kids out. Well, the, the drug lords don't realize that they're there for the kids. They think they're there for the drugs. Yeah. Mm. So all kinds of things have happened in his life where he goes in and he's you know, trying to rescue these kids where sometimes the parents are, you know, duct taped and tied up and taken out to the woods where they're going to shoot him and some miraculous thing happens. I mean, his life is a movie. And the wow. people that have made the Mark Wahlberg movies like The Patriots are doing a movie on him. Oh, I can't wait to watch this. And I don't know if I'm allowed to ask this, so please feel free to pass, but can he help your family? Um, He cannot, no. No, each case is very different. Okay. And we have information that takes us beyond what he can do. Got it. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to pry because I know there's certain things you can't talk about and we don't ever want to put um, <laughs> your, your child at risk. But I'm just curious because I'm just sitting here like my mind is spinning of all of the things that could be done. And I'm sure you already have tried everything. Um, but it's just it's driving me crazy that, you know, how many years has it been now? Three and a half. Three and a half. And maybe I can ask you this. Do you feel like you're getting close to a reconciliation? I do. I really feel like we're getting closer every day. And, you know, um, one of the guys that uh, I interviewed for the book and, and put his story in there, he talks about more of what it's like. And he tells his story because his children have returned. They have been um, rescued and brought back to him. And oh. it was actually Logan that brought the kids back. So he tells his story in there. And he talks about little things like he would see somebody's Facebook post, like a friend of a friend of a friend's uncle would have a Facebook post and he would see the kids in the picture. So Mm -hmm. they would know, oh, the kids were there last month. Wow. I know there's so much online can tell you these days. You don't even have to be a private investigator. Right. Right. (laughs) So there are little clues like that, that you get when you're in this kind of situation. And same with the parents that have, you know, a divorce and things like that, where sometimes, you know, a little bit but you can't get there. Or even for those parents that know exactly where their child is, there are several of them that we know we're following and doing things with online. They know where their child is, but they're in France and they can't get them back. Or they've won in France, but now we've got to wait for the appeals court in France to determine whether or not they're actually going to uphold that they've already won before they can go back over to France to rescue their children. Oh my gosh. And I- This may be a silly question, but I'm just thinking about how 
Oh, there's all these um, like documentaries or miniseries, and it really activates people. So, for example, there was Making a Murderer, and everyone's like, okay, Stephen Avery should be freed, and everyone's activated on Facebook and petitions and all of this stuff. If you told your story in such a way, what would the harm be? Could there be a way for you to tell your story to activate people to help you? Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, we have definitely considered it. The only problem is it could also be something where the retaliation is against our child. Got it. Uh, yes. You can't take that risk, of course. We can't take that risk, now. I-, I can't even imagine, Marie. I'm so sorry. How many people are going through what you're going through right now where they can't speak about what's going on in fear of retaliation on the person that they're trying to save? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So many. So many. And so many more would come out of the woodwork and will as they get further along in their cases or their cases are done or, you know, a significant amount of time has happened because there are always things like appeals and things that can happen that will continue to speak out. It's it's just hard because at any point, a lot of people that we see within the divorce community, and again, that's just the one that's the most active and most people that are listening to your show would have more of a connection with, um, they know that anything they say can and will be used against them in a court of law. Mm, mm-hmm. So whatever they do can be used to take their children again, or one of the really amazing prevailing things that's happening is that people are just making false accusations. It costs absolutely nothing for a parent, doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man, to call the police and make an accusation against somebody. It costs them nothing and it costs the other person everything. Mm, That's heart-wrenching. It is. You know, this is is going on in our society rampantly. People realize this and, and they can make anonymous phone calls to the authorities and do a lot of damage to individuals. I've heard it's done to celebrities and, and now normal people. And yes, it's just it's really awful. Sometimes I feel like we've lost our humanity and we're a little bit lost on that way that we're having Absolutely. to fight, fight our way back to it. Well, and we've all watched, you know, the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie thing, which has been you know, especially watched by this community who's watching one parent keep the, ch- the children from the other parent for no reason. And then went ahead and made false allegations. They were cleared of it, but they still don't have their kid. He still does not have custody of his children. Yeah. And when you make that accusation, you know, if you're not somebody who is well-known and has a well-documented history, you're going to feel pressure from that. You know, well, if someone makes an accusation, isn't there usually some kind of truth behind it? Is anybody going to believe I'm innocent? These families are hurting and they're scared and they can't even go to get professional help. Because if they do that, it will be used against them. Mm. So it's a really tough community to watch. Um, But I'm glad there's, you know, at least I have this book out and I do have those five experts, including people from mental health and grief specialties that go in there and give advice people need because they can't go get it from somebody else. And what are three things that you can tell parents who are going through this right now? I would say one, eat a banana a day. That's (laughs) absolutely important if you can do it. Uh, to get outside. You've got to do the 30 minutes. You've got to do the 30 minutes of fresh air, sunshine, and exercise. And it could just be a walk. And uh, three, I would just say, learn to control your thoughts. And I do go through that in detail so you don't have to figure it out on your own. But the main thing is turn them off. It does nobody any good and it does not help your body to get wrapped in that cycle of cortisol and adrenaline and hyping up your entire nervous system while you're reliving things that you said or did. Let it go. I think you're like the strongest person we've ever talked to on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so impressed. You guys are so kind. (laughs) And you're also a veteran. So how has your military training influenced how you're handling this? Well, I think that's probably where a lot of the strength comes from. Um, 
one of the things that we were taught in basic training was the saying, suck it up and press on. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So I think when things like this hit you, there's a part of you that goes, yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it stings, but suck it up and press on and just keep on going. And so those sort of things make a difference as well as discipline, knowing that I need to be disciplined to get outside, to get sunlight, to get off the computer, to eat right. If I can do those daily disciplines, I can be a stronger, better person. And in the end, you're doing it for your child anyway. Yes, that's exactly the motivation for myself. I'm not going to do it for my child. I would do whatever it takes. How is your family doing now? How is your marriage and how are your other children? How are you doing as a unit? We're doing well, which is just an absolute miracle because that is not normally the case. Right. You know, most families, as you guys know, you know, break down when there's a a sick child that's in the hospital with cancer or they go through something like this. Even John Walsh, who started America's Most Wanted and all that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, his child was abducted and their marriage disintegrated. Ours has been very strong and actually become stronger because of it, which is just a miracle. And our children, our other children are doing well. They've become stronger people. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you're very, you're such an inspiration. And I know that you have a special place that you want to see your book. Where is that? I want to see it in every prison. Mm. I think in there is where we have a huge population of people who are separated from their children, whether rightly or wrongly, whether it's, you know, for domestic abuse or whether it's just drug dealing or whatever it is they're there for, who have that hole in their heart who might want to read something that helps them to become a better person and to become the person they were always meant to be. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. And how could you get it into the prisons? I'm working on that right now. It's not quite as easy as I thought it would be. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really. I'm like, isn't there just like an organization that does that? But each one is individual. Each state is different. Some take, you know, donated books, some don't. Some you have to get a hold of the librarian. So I'm still working and looking at that and trying to find an easy way to do it so people can donate them. And just in general, to wrap up, how would you say that this entire situation has really impacted the way that you look at life? I would say that before I was going about life day to day, like most of us do, appreciating what I had and enjoying it. But now I actually realize that every moment is a gift. I realize that life is not going on forever. I mean, when this kind of thing happens, all of a sudden the world, the ground beneath you feels uneven and you start wondering, am I going to get hit by a bus? You know, it's like, if this could happen, anything could happen. Is our house going to burn down? Are we going to lose our jobs? Like what, what's the next big thing that's going to happen? Because I feel like anything could happen now. And once you get past that stage and kind of go, you know what? But it also means that whatever time I've got, I want to use and squeeze every drop out of it. And that does mean being in shape so that I can take care of those things I need to take care of physically, mentally being strong and eating right and taking care of myself so that whatever life throws at me, I can take it. Oh my God, all the chills. And I feel the same way. You know, I had <laughs> such a, like such a blessed life and I, I still do to this day, but I hadn't gone through anything until um, my early twenties. That's when my first experience with trauma happened. And I went into the dark depression space and I came out of it just going, God, I have to be so grateful. And every moment is so precious. And it made me see life the same way, just like just like you said, and just such a different light and be so much more grateful for everything I do have and I did have and I will have. And I love your perspective. And I, I haven't read the book yet, but I actually really want to listen to it now <laughs> that <laughs> we heard about the author. And last question before we wrap up, um, why do you quote Mark Twain in your book? 
Mark Twain said the most incredible thing. He said the two most important days in a person's life are the day they're born and the day they find out why. And I just encourage everyone to go find why you're here. I don't care if it takes you to the top of mountains or across oceans or just to your neighborhood grief center, wherever it is you're going, go find out why you're here. Find out what your gifts are and go for it. And if you haven't found them yet, you can go to my website at mariewhiteauthor.com. That's mariewhite, spelled like the color, author.com. And you can pick up a copy of one of my best-selling books called um, Changing Your Life in Just 10 Days. And that's absolutely free for all of the um, Food Heals podcast listeners. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. That was a really good transition you did. So I didn't even have to ask you. So I can go and find you online. (laughs) All right. And what about all your social media handles, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all that good stuff? Instagram is Marie White Author Official. Twitter is Marie Writes Book singular because I only thought I was writing one book at that time. <laughs> Little did you know. That's right. Uh, so yeah, those are the two that I use, Instagram and Twitter. Um, and then of course, LinkedIn, Summary White on there. But yeah, you guys are just amazing. I am so thankful to be on. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for what you guys do and just for bringing such light and energy. Thank you for being here and sharing your story and being such a a source of inspiration and strength. Oh, you guys are awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Marie. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately.